0: Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis
1: Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemican podcast.
0: So this episode has come to us via a listener request. Actually, a couple of people have requested this one. And unfortunately, we're only going to be able to scratch the surface of the Count of St. Germain because there's just so much out there. If you Google him, there's just so many kind of weird uh, theories out there and kind of ludicrous stuff. And it's not just since the invention of the internet, but um, he's kind of like, you know, the Elvis of his time where after he died, occultists would swear that they saw him in the 19th century and and several people, um, you know, said that he's this figure or that figure or, um, you know, this other historical person that he wasn't. So we're not going to probably give you the definitive truth of who he was or who he wasn't because that's just not clear. But there are some theories out there, and we'll go over them, and um, we'll, what I'd kind of like to do is, is give you more of an idea of some of the quotes that people said about him in his lifetime and kind of what was written right after his death and, and during his lifetime and, and the theories rather than the later kind of weird, weird stuff that came to be. So the Count of St. Germain was born possibly in 1712, although he claimed to be much older, And he died on the 27th of February, 1784, but again, people claim to have seen him after this date. He was a European courtier with an interest in science and the arts and music and alchemy. He achieved prominence in European high society of the mid-1700s, and he was really mysterious about his origins, and he would invent fantasies, like that he was 500 years old or 5,000 years old or that he knew Moses or... Um, various kind of things he would just you know change the subject if someone asked him about his his true age or or some or you know when he was born or where he's from and Voltaire even sarcastically kind of called him the wonder man and even Casanova chimed in on his thing and and many many others there are many other prominent people of the time kind of I mean, this was just a a rumor mill, like people love to gossip and share their theories about who he was and and tell stories about him. Um, So again, his birth and background are pretty obscure, but toward the end of his life, he claimed that he was son of Prince Francis II, Rakochi of Transylvania. And his name is occasionally, also kind of a side note here, is that there was a true Comte de uh, Saint-Germain, a guy named... Claude Louis, and he was a noted French general. So we're not talking about the French general. We're talking about, yeah, the the weird one, the mysterious one. So so who was Francis II
1: Roccochi anyways? Well, Travis, the Count claimed to be the son of Francis II Roccochi, uh, the Prince of Transylvania, as you mentioned. Possibly legitimate, maybe illegitimate, um, by also the Duchess of, of Valente, Beatrice of Bavaria. Uh, this would account for the wealth and the fine education, because you see... Kings would not let a person of low low breed come into their courts, uh, so they must have thought that he was one of their own. And the will of, of, of Francis II mentions his eldest son, Leopold George, who was believed to have died at the age of four. The speculation is that his identity was safeguarded by a protective measure from the persecutions against the Habsburg dynasty.
0: Yeah, and, and that
1: would make sense of why he was trying to hide it, right? That, Yeah, that could be. Yeah, in the realm of possibilities. Uh, He was educated in Italy by the last of the Medicis, Guillaume Gaston, uh, his mother's brother-in-law, of course. It was believed that he was a student at the University of Siena. Now, this is somewhat uh, of of an incredible sort of uh, viewpoint on this. I mean, we talked about him saying that some people said he was 500 years old. Uh, This would uh, also add to that sort of of idea that he could also make himself invisible, known, of course, the secret of life, the internal life, and could speak all languages, not just a few, but all of them. So... He's said to have known Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Yeah, I mean, but Possible, honestly, right?
0: honestly, who doesn't? So one thing I thought would be interesting to do is kind of pepper this podcast with quotes from, from contemporary or uh, shortly after his time, um, people that, you know, said something to say about him, because there's, you know, a lot of this is kind of rumor. Like it was just, you know, people talking to each other in, in various courts and um, various nobility had their theories and everything, and also their personal stories about him. And a lot of them were kind of like, you know, a friend of a friend told me that you know, and so was, there's so many more that I couldn't put in here because there's, there's books filled with these stories. But um, one of them is is someone saying this, and I quote: "My cousin, the landgraf Karl von Hessen, is much attached to him. They are eager Freemasons and work together at all sorts of hidden arts." He's supposed to have intercourse with ghosts and supernatural beings who appear at his call. I didn't. I didn't want to paraphrase that because it's like, how do you?
1: I don't think he can and keep it clean. I, yeah, I think
0: uh... <laughs> exactly. So, again, this is you know my cousin, and you know, so kind of a friend of a friend kind of kind of story. But um, yeah, this this the reason he's on an alchemy show is because he supposedly knew the. the you know, various, in this case, Freemason secrets, but also, you know, the elixir of life and, and that kind of thing. So, Well, you
1: know, Travis, his, his pedigree is just about as, as out there as, as some of the legends that, that were about him, right? So it appears to have begun to know, to know that the title of Count of St. Germain um, uh, was kind of floating around around the early 1740s. Some theories who, uh, about who he descended from kind of go in this, in this order. The widow of Charles II, the king of Spain the father of a Madrid banker, a Portuguese Jew, an Alsatian Jew, a tax gatherer in Rotondo, the king of Portugal, the natural born son, and Franz Leopold, Prince Rogochi of Transylvania.
0: Yeah, and and I would say my money's on this one if I had to pick one. So um, there's, because there's, that one fits best. Let me me put it like that. I also read, um, many people do believe the Portuguese Jew theory uh, based off of The languages he spoke and stuff, but but we'll get into that. So he was also kind of popular because of his music, and so this is kind of a point to make that, um, according to David Hunter, the Count contributed to to some of the songs in an opera performed at the Haymarket Theatre in London, and it's possible because uh, it was mentioned that the Count of Saint Germain was being arrested in London on suspicion of espionage. And this was during the Jacobite Rebellion. This was also mentioned several times that um, I I think even someone quoted him saying that in the 1740s, he was a a spy in England. Yeah. So just to give you another, just to give you a flavor of of who he was when people were talking about him, here's another quote. So they say, quote, the other day they seized an odd man who goes by the name of Count of St. Germain. He was been here these two years and will not tell who he is or whence, but professes two wonderful things. The first, that he does not go by his right name, and the second, that he never had any dealings with any woman, okay? Now, he sings, plays on the violin wonderfully, composes, he's mad, and not very sensible. He is called an Italian, a Spaniard, a Pole, somebody that married a great fortune in Mexico and ran away with her jewels to Constantinople, a priest, a fiddler, a vast nobleman. The Prince of Wales has been unsatiated curiosity about him, but in vain. However, nothing has been made out against him. He is released, and what convinces me that he is not a gentleman stays here and talks of his being taken up for a spy. So, Right there, that one quote, there's like, you know, 10 theories of where he's from and, um, you know, who his father was and and some of them, you know, ranging from Mexico to Constantinople, basically. But what is kind of possibly known is that the Count gave two private musical performances in London in May and in April and May of 1749. One lady, Jemima York, describes how she was very much entertained by him or at him the whole time. And I quote, The oddness of his manner, which it is impossible not to laugh at. Otherwise, you know, he's very sensible and well-bred in conversation. So many people kind of said that he was quirky in several ways. So that's why I left this quote in here. So um, she continued, He is an odd creature, and the more I see him, the more curious I am to know something about him. He's everything to everybody. He talks ingeniously with Mr. Per- with Mr. Ray, philosophy with Lord Willoughby, and is gallant with Miss York, Miss Carpenter, and the young ladies. But the character and philosopher is what he seems to pretend to, and to be a good deal conceited of. The others are put on to comply with le manier du monde, but that you are to suppose his real characteristics. And I, can, I can't but fancy he is a great pretender in all kinds of science, as well as that he really has acquired an uncommon share in some. Right? So she kind of senses that he's kind of a fraud in many ways. So he's a great conversationalist, you know, with different subjects, with different people, but um, it's maybe just skin deep, you know, this, this
1: woman senses. And it does sound like from our quote, Travis, that, uh, you know, he, he was able to be a chameleon to what the times uh, dictate, so he's got the manners of the world to when it comes to certain things, and maybe in courts where you have to have a certain level, mm-hmm. he's able to to woo a lot of women. This is probably where Casanova, you know, came into the picture of knowing who Saint Germain was, because that's kind of how he rolled. And 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 you kind of get the idea that he was able to be everything to everyone because he was able to surmise the situation quite admirably.
0: Yeah, um, yeah Walpole reports that Saint Germain. Uh, spoke Italian and French with the greatest facility, though it was evident that neither was his language. He understood Polish, and he learned English, you know, quickly enough, but Spanish or Portuguese seemed to be his natural language. This is why some people point at that maybe he was a Portuguese Jew, and, um, you know, trying to to hide his Jewish identity maybe to fit in better, you know, hard to say, but um, Walpole concludes that the Count was a quote, a man of quality who had been in or designed for the church. He was too great a musician not to have been famous if he had not been a gentleman, right? So if he was not a nobleman, he could have been a great musician. Walpole kind of gives us a physical description as a pale sort of complexion, but extremely black hair and also a beard. He, dra- he dressed magnificently and had several jewels and was clearly receiving large remittances, but made no other figure. Um, I've heard different and sometimes conflicting uh, reports on how he dressed, and this could be because this is when he was in England, and he was later in France and other places and in Germany, so maybe he dressed differently depending on where he was or, you know, his age kind of. But, yeah, so like I said, he
1: he did go on to, to France at, uh, after he, his stay in England. And Saint-Germain appeared in the French court uh, in around 1748, and by 1749 he was employed by... Louis fifteenth uh, for diplomatic missions. So he already ingratiated himself into the French court system. Uh, a mime and an a English comedian known as Milord Gower impersonated St. Germain in Paris Salons. His stories were wilder than the real counts himself. He had, he had advised Jesus, for example, of all things. Inevitably, heresy for his routine got confused with the original.
0: Yeah, I, I like this part because it could explain... Um, at least part of the reason why he had such a reputation because there 's a mime going
1: about spreading these stories right so, well you know, yeah. evidently there, there 's stories being kicked around we, we've, we We see at this point that he put on some musical performances in London, um, so there must have been somebody we could have, really could have attached in the mid eighteenth uh, century uh, that could have been this saint germain
0: yeah, so l- let me give you a, let me tell you what Casanova had to, had to say about him, so Casanova describes in his memoirs actually meeting the count a few times, and he called him this celebrated and learned imposter. So (laughs) not too high of a regard. So on his first meeting in Paris in 1757, he writes, quote, the most enjoyable dinner I had with the Madame de Robert-Gergy, who came with the famous adventurer known by the name of the Count de Saint-Germain. This individual, instead of eating, talked from the beginning of the meal to the end, and I followed his example in one respect as I did not eat, but listened to him with the greatest attention. It may safely be said that as a conversationalist, he was unequaled. Okay,
1: he can now, spin a good yarn.
0: Yeah, so think you know that's that's a you know between his music and his conversations, that's you know that's a that's a great talent uh, for court. Yeah, he goes on to say Saint Germain gave himself out for a marvel and always aimed at an exciting amazement which he often succeeded in doing. He was a scholar, linguist, musician, chemist, good-looking, and a perfect ladies' man. For a while, he gave them paints and cosmetics. He flattered them, not that he would make them young again, which he modestly confessed was beyond him, (laughs) but that their beauty would be preserved by means of a wash, which, he said, cost him a lot of money, but which he gave away freely. Oh, of course. Yeah, so um, he contrived to gain the favor of Madame de Pompadour, who had spoken about him to the king, for whom, for whom he had made a laboratory in which the monarch, a martyr to boredom, tried to find a little pleasure or distraction at all events by making dyes. So the king had given him a suite of rooms at Chambord and a 100,000 francs for the construction of a laboratory, and according to St. Germain, the dyes discovered by the king would have a materially beneficial influence on the quality of French fabrics. This extraordinary man, intended by nature to be the king of impostors and quacks, would say in an an easy, assured manner that he was 300 years old, that he knew the secret of the universal medicine, which, you know, could be the elixir of life or even philosopher's stone uh, in some contexts, that he possessed a mastery over nature, that he could melt diamonds, profess himself capable of forming out of 10 or 12 small diamonds, one large one of the finest water without any loss of weight. All this, he said, was a mere trifle to him. Notwithstanding his boastings, his bare-faced lies, and his manifold eccentricities, I cannot say I thought him offensive. In spite of my knowledge of what he was and in spite of my own feelings, I thought him an astonishing man, and he was always astonishing me. Right? So Casanova kind of paints this, like, he's clearly a fraud... But yet, he's good entertainment. You know, you know? I He's know, good fun.
1: I don't know a whole lot about Casanova other than I think what most people know about him being a ladies' man and, and a provocateur in, in, some, in some sense, uh, going from one country to another. But I would almost say that's the pot calling the kettle black. And I think if anybody knew how the game, quote-unquote, well, yeah. was played, it would have been so Casanova. So maybe he appreciated this. Like, I hey, think he did. Well, I know, think he, he can... did. It's like, wow, you're playing the game well. Yeah, man. Exactly. So, and there's another quote that kind of fills in the picture a little bit more about uh, St. Germain. Uh, quote, the old Countess Gre- uh, Gregory, who 50 years early had accompanied her husband to Venice, where he had the appointment of ambassador, lately met St. Germain at uh, Madame de Pompadour's. Uh, for some time, she had watched the stranger with signs of the greatest surprise, in which was mixed with, with not a little fear. Finally, unable to control her excitement, she approached the count more out of curiosity than of fear. "'Will will you have the kindness to tell me,' said the countess, "'whether your father was in Venice about the year 1710?' "'No, madame,' replied the count, quite unconcerned. "'It is very much longer since I lost my father. But "'But I myself was living in Venice at the end of the last "'and at the beginning of the century. "'I had the honor to pay you court then.' "'and you were kind enough to admire a few boccaroles of my composing, "'which we used to sing together. "'Forgive me, but that is impossible. "'The Countess Saint Germain, I knew in those days, was at least forty-five years old, "'and you, and the outside, are at the age at present.' "'Madame,' replied the Count, smiling, "'I am very, very old.' "'But you must, you must be nearly one hundred years old,' said the Countess. "'That is, impo- that is not impossible.' And the count recounted to Madame Gregory a number of familiar little details which had reference in common to both and to their sojourn at the Venetian states. He offered, if she was still doubted him, to bring back to her memory certain circumstances and remarks which, no, no, interrupted the old ambaz- ambassadress, I am already convinced. For all that you are a most extraordinary man, you are a devil. For pity's sake! Exclaimed Saint Germain. In a thunderous voice, no such names, please. he appeared to seize with with, with a cramp like trembling in every limb and left the room immediately. I mean to get to know this particular man more intimately yeah so
0: so the story goes on, but um still you can kind of see that story to try to show that he was very old id yeah, I mean who told this story and you know it's it's still like complete hearsay, like, oh, well, I was talking to this lady, and she told me the story, and, you know, whatever, but, so um, Casanova actually pretended to be him in 1760 during a trip to Switzerland, uh, which I thought was an interesting little tidbit, so, you know, Casanova, I don't, I I would love to hear more about why, or what what the deal was with that, but, um, so Casanova goes to Switzerland, and, you know, passes himself off as Saint Germain, um, Alistair Crowley toyed with the idea of disguising himself as the Count. And a mentally ill Frenchman got on TV in 1972 and claimed to be
1: Saint Germain. Okay, now, this, when we came up with this show, um, I, I think I told you that there was an episode of In Search Of. If any of our listeners have listened to that back in the United States in the 70s, it was hosted by Leonard Nimoy of yeah. Star Trek fan uh, fandom. And uh, it, it was a, a show of conjecture... <laughs> <laughs> to say the least, um, and they did a, a show on Saint Germain, and they also had this this Frenchman with this mental disability, uh, unfortunately, that thought he was Saint Germain. So, so they showed a clip of him. So like... You might be able to find that on YouTube. I'm not sure, but it, it definitely stuck in my mind after all these years. Yeah.
0: So now there's there's some stories that I'm kind of leaving out, but there's stories of him going to Asia, to Africa, to China, to India. So and and you know this was. From a source that okay, it didn't really mean much like historically, but um, they were just trying to make the point that he went off on these you know basically traveled the world at least the old world um, in search of occultist knowledge and um, so yeah there's plenty of stories of him all over the place but you know something that I that could possibly be true or that I believe a little bit more firmly was that he was he did make it to Russia and he was in Saint Petersburg in 1762, and supposedly played an important part in the conspiracy against Tsar Peter III in July, um, which it was a plot that placed Catherine II, the Great of Russia, on the throne. So he, you know, was in St. Petersburg to play that part. He went to Germany, where according to the adventure Count D Cagliostro, he was the founder of Freemasonry and initiated Cagliostro into that rite. He was again in Paris from 1770 to 1774 after frequenting several of the German
1: courts. In 1777, St. Germain arrived in, Al- in Altona in Schleswig, where he made an acquaintance with Prince Charles of Hesse Castle, who also had an interest in mysticism and was a member of several, several secret societies. The Count showed the prince several of his gems and convinced the latter that he had invented a new method of coloring cloth. Now here's where we bring in the whole concept of alchemy with this in, in many respects. Uh, the prince was impressed and installed in the court an abandoned factory in Eckenfude. uh he had acquired especially for the, for the count and supplied him with the materials and cloths that Saint Germain needed to proceed with the project. The two men met frequently in the following years and the prince outfitted a laboratory for the alchemical experiments in his nearby summer residence of Luisenlund where they had, among other things, cooperated in creating gemstones and jewelry. The prince later recounts that in a letter he was the only person who the count truly confided. He told the prince that he was the son of a Transylvanian prince, Francis II, and that he had been 88 years of age when he arrived in Schleswig. That's where the theory of him being a a Transylvanian
0: prince comes from. And the count died in his residence in the factory on the 27th of February, 1784, and I believe that I believe he died there. So there's uh, as long as this podcast will be, we can make it <laughs> ten times longer with supposed sightings after that date. That he's still around. So for me, he died in 1784, and um, that's it. End of story. But while the prince was staying in Kassel, and the, the death of the death was recorded in the register of the Saint Nikolai Church in Eckfrode. He was buried March second, and the cost of the burial was listed in the accounting books of the church the following day. Okay, so we got records for this. Right, he's dead. Okay, Leonard Nimoy, yeah. dead. <laughs> the official burial site for the count is at Nikolai Church. Yeah, in in Ekofuira, so you can actually go see his his. Uh, site. On April 3rd, the same year, the mayor and the city council of Econfreude issued an official proclamation about the auctioning off of the count's remaining effects in case no living relative would appear within a designated time. So again, there's plenty of records of him dying and what happened after his death with his belongings and and all that stuff. So Prince Charles donated the factory to the crown and it was afterward converted into a hospital. Okay, so in case you're wondering what those uh, personal effects might have been, There was a packet of paid and receipted bills and quittances, 82 Reichstahler and 13 shillings, so, you know, some cash, 29 various groups of items of clothing, like gloves, stockings, shirts, uh, pants, that kind of thing. Um, Then, you know, 14 linen shirts, eight other linen items, various like kind of toiletries like razors, buckles, toothbrushes Sounds sunglasses, very, very ordinary, yeah right. there were no diamonds, jewels, gold, or any other riches, and there were no kept like um you know family heirlooms or or souvenirs from his travels, um not even his violin or any of his correspondence, so he died with you know oddly little stuff, which again, it just feeds the conspiracy theories but but still, there's records of of this supposedly he wrote a book called The, the Most Holy Trinosophia, and although there is little evidence that he actually wrote it, uh, he did own that book or the original at some point. So there's also, there's also two triangular books in, in an alchemical collection um, which are attributed to Saint Germain.
1: So That's uh, at the Getty Research Library. Yeah. And, and, and as we're kind of you know talking about the, the end of his life, the legends abound, and this is one of those legends, too, that uh, I think is pretty interesting. St. Saint, Saint Germain was, as one of the masters of the ancient wisdom, is credited with the near-godlike power and with the, uh, the power of longevity. Uh, it is believed that Sir Francis Bacon faked his own death on Easter Sunday, the 9th of April, 1626, attended his own funeral, and made his way from England to Transylvania, where he found lodging in a castle owned by the Roccochi family. There, on the 1st of May, 1684, Bacon, by using alchemy, became an an, an immortal occult master and adopted the name Saint Germain, and thus became one of the masters of the ancient wisdom, a group of beings that, theosophists believe, form a spiritual hierarchy on a planet of earth, sometimes called an ascended masters. Thus, according to these beliefs, Saint Germain was a mysterious manifestation of the resurrected of the resurrected form or resurrected body of Sir Francis Bacon. Take that. How, how you like them apples? I don't know what to think about that. Oh. I, I need, I'll leave this, let that sink in for a minute. That's actually one that I bought. Okay. I, I believe that. <laughs> oh, man.
0: Um, so, again, many, many other legends. They only spread in the 19th and 20th century and, you know, still kind of continue, I would say. So, again, there's, you know, the belief that he's kind of immortal – uh, like an uh, alchemist with the elixir of life and we saw the same with um, Nicholas Flamel you know and many many others uh, Arnold of Villanova uh, Arnold of Villanova was the master of Conselier, the 20th century you know the guy that died in like World War II or World War One or something? Well, you know, I find um,
1: it... You're going you to see that Saint-Germain is attached to... Of course, we just mentioned the Masters of Ancient Wisdom. Yeah. We talked about... He's like... He started Freemasonry, supposedly. S- some and say... Now also, he, yeah. And also the Rosicrucians. Yeah. I some mean, say
0: that he might have been a Rosicrucian. Right. Some, some, some say that he... Some say that he prophesied the French Revolution. Um, he said to have met the, the forger Giuseppe Balsamo, or as alias Cagliostro, in London... And uh, also the composer Rameau in Venice. There's groups that actually honor him as a sort of a supernatural being, namely that ascended master, right? Uh, Madame Blavatsky and her pupil Annie Besant, which are both kind of, you know, famous occultists in the 19th century of, I think they're Ukrainian or Russians or something. They both claim to have met the count who was traveling under the different name. So like in the 19th century, right? You don't get to have a reputation like the Count of Saint Germain and not... Pop up in a lot of fictional works, right? So um, he's, he's the mystic in Alexander Pushkin's story, The Queen of Spades. He appears in Umberto Eco's uh, Foucault's Pendulum.
1: I was going to say, he, he definitely would be a character in, in one of Eco's novels. I mean, it just fits yeah. into what he writes about, yeah. doesn't it? He? That's
0: actually come up a couple times in the show. right. Yeah. right. He's in many otherwise, many other uh, novels. Uh, one, Catherine Kurtz's novel, Two Crowns for America. He's kind of a principal behind-the-scenes guy in the, with you know, Masonic connections beh- behind the American Revolution. <laughs>
1: right? Right, here's another one. He's mentioned as the main character in the Secrets of the Immortal Nicholas Flamel series by Michael Scott as an, al- as an alchemist and teacher of fire magic.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, the two of them being immortal together. He appears in the Outlander series.
1: Let's not forget he's, about graphic novels. He's in,
0: yeah, he's in some graphic novels, yeah. manga. Um, he's in Vertigo Comics' Dead Boy Detectives. He, do you know that one? I don't know that one. Yeah. I don't know that um, one. So, actually, in, in that one, the reason I wrote that one down is because uh, in that one, he he's a pseudonym taken on by occultist child murderer, Gilles Ray, Who we've done a podcast on. And mentioned, like, several times. He was creepy. Yeah, he's, you know, <laughs> for for those that don't remember the name, it's it's, he was a... Uh, kind of brother in arms of Joanne of Arc and then later graduated to child murdering and yeah. v- torture and, and stuff. And got away
1: with most of it because of his uh, station in life of yeah. being well connected.
0: And then, like many characters that we've done a podcast on, he's... He's an NPC in Castlevania, Curse of Darkness. So he's, he's a person who can travel through time and constantly
1: asks Hector to abandon his quest. Well, you know, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't really kind of uh, bewilder you at all that there might be a vampire connection to this as well, because of his connection, maybe his, his, his paternal connection to uh, royalty in Transylvania. Uh, Chelsea Quinn-Garbrough used the account as a base for her series character on Count St. Germain the Vampire, although that the initial book deals with the historical rather than the fictional St. Germain
0: yeah again, we just scratched the surface i this is an interesting guy and and there's several books on him, some even from right after his life so there's there's an, a near contemporary there's a couple of books that are almost contemporary to his life that are still't they're still filled with wild tales of him like you know they're, 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 you can go into more detail about him supposedly knowing Moses or Solomon or um, there, there was a, a story that someone kind of, you know, pulled his his valet aside and was like, so is it true that he knew Moses? I'm, I might be misquoting this now. I, I don't have it in front of me. But he's like, is it true that he knew Moses? And the valet goes, I'm not quite sure because I myself am only 200 years old. Yeah. You know, so like... Funny guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's just all kinds of, you know, stories and, and rumors and myths and stories. And I, I, I like the idea that there was a mime in Paris kind of mimicking some of these stories and 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 telling them and kind of spreading these rumors. Because I like that that little tidbit because it kind of explains how this may have started, you know. But clearly even some people that knew him in person, like like Voltaire and Casanova, still describe him as like, you know, he's an extraordinary gentleman. And Voltaire just kind of paints a picture and brush in broad strokes, but you're thinking, okay, well, he just says he's amazing, but I'd love to actually hear one of his stories. Instead of just kind of recounted in the third degree, I'd like to, you know, it'd be great to set a video or a tape recorder in front of him and be like, right. okay, you know, what are some of these stories that the Count actually said that would make him stick out in so many people's minds?
1: I, I think what really amazes me is, is the sheer uh, amount of hubris that the man probably took into these courts, probably knowing he didn't belong in these situations but he made it work, and my, I guess I tip my hat to him. Uh, you see, you see this through many characters we've talked about on this Hi- history of alchemy podcast of, of men over their heads, punching above their weight class to to ingratiate themselves into these courts, and when they had no business being there because they were, alchem- they were well, alchemists.
0: I gotta say, yeah, uh, the one theory that could make sense is that he was the son of that Transylvanian, and and the the theory I read actually went into some depth and. Um, I I could buy it because uh, the Habsburg had murdered the whole family and he had to escape into the woods. And even anywhere he went in Europe, he wasn't outside of the Habsburg's reach. So that's why he put, you know, if this story were true, that it would make sense for him to take a false name. And then again, that would mean that, okay, he was, he had money, he was well-educated and he, he had some certain connections by the people that were trying to keep his identity a secret. I could buy it. If you uh, the other a uh, theory that had some traction uh, among some people was um that he was a, he was a Jew from Portugal and it was mostly the language connection that he's that, he's, that they said his his um his nat his native language seemed to be either Spa- Spanish or Portuguese right. and he still could be educated um and then you would want to keep that a secret, potentially, because if he was passing himself off as a nobleman, the thing is that that's, that's punishable by death. So it you know, it's kind of a high risk stakes game. And if someone really found that out, that's why I'm not sure I believe that one. Um, but there was, there was other theories that we, I mean, some of them we mentioned that he was a, you know, Spanish this or Portuguese that. So, You know who knows Alsatian Jew I didn't buy because it seemed like French wasn't his native language and there was a couple others that I just kind of I I could kind of dismiss but um, in fact there's several several others (laughs) but again if you if you google him there's way more that we could be saying about him but I wanted to kind of paint a picture so you have some idea and I tried to wade through the more quirky stuff for you so again I hope you enjoyed that one and uh, I know I did Yeah, it was was a fun one to read about. Even some of the outlandish stuff was at least fun to read about and fun to research. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening. Take care.
1: You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast all about the Czech Republic, Bohemikon, which is also available on iTunes or on Bohemikon.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast, thank you for listening.